You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side history. My name is Steve Silverman, and today's story is titled, The Fever Girl. But before we do that, let's start with today's question of the day. And the question is fairly straightforward. What is the highest recorded body temperature that a human has ever survived? And I'll give you the answers in both Fahrenheit, and then I'll follow it with Celsius. Was it 1, 106.2 degrees Fahrenheit, 2, 108.7 degrees, 3, 112.5 degrees, 4, 114.2 degrees, or 5, 115.7 degrees. And here are the answers in Celsius. Was it 1, 41.2 degrees, 2, 42.6 degrees, 3, 44.7 degrees, 4, 45.7 degrees, or finally, number 5, 46.5 degrees. As always, I'll let you mull over these choices and I'll let you know the answer at the end of this podcast. So I was jokingly telling my wife the other night that I wish I had been born at the turn of the 20th century. And that was so I could have met an incredibly hot girl, one that I'd read about in the newspaper. Not only was she hot, she was sizzling hot. In fact, if you picked up just about any newspaper in the United States back in March of 1923, you would have read about the woman that the press nicknamed the Fever Girl. And just who was she really? She was 30-year-old Evelyn Lyons, and at the time she resided at 509 South 9th Street in Escanaba, Michigan. What made Evelyn famous was her unusual medical condition. As I mentioned, she was incredibly hot, but not necessarily in the looks department, if you know what I mean. Instead, she had been suffering from an extremely high fever. It was one that maxed out the clinical thermometers that they typically use at the time. That would have been 110 degrees Fahrenheit or 43.3 degrees Celsius. The amazing part of her story is that while most people would have suffered brain damage, organ damage, or been killed by such a high fever, Miss Lyons was still conscious, she maintained her full appetite, and she was completely rational. The story goes that she'd initially caught the flu, which then of course developed into full-blown pneumonia. For a period of about two weeks, Evelyn had a fever of 107 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 41.7 degrees Celsius. And then, in the four days prior to the story breaking the news, which would have been March 4th of 1923, it had jumped to 114 degrees Fahrenheit, or 45.6 degrees Celsius. Now, doctors weren't really sure of that. That was an estimate because they had to place additional gradations onto their thermometer to make that measurement. Dr. Harry C. Defnet, who was the city health commissioner placed in charge of her case, told the press that Miss Lyon's fever had baffled all of the doctors in Escanaba. He reported that Evelyn was being treated at home and that her mother, Hannah Lyons, was having a tough time keeping her in bed. 
At one point, she totally disappeared, and the neighbors frantically searched the neighborhood for her. They found Evelyn about an hour later dressed only in a nightgown, lying in a snowbank in an alley near her home. When asked what happened, she responded, quote, I was tired of staying in bed, and I wanted to cool off. Now, I can't speak for anyone else, but when I'm having even the slightest fever, I am shivering from the cold. There's absolutely no way I would jump in a snowbank to cool off. This woman was clearly a medical oddity. Needless to say, Evelyn was taken back indoors and her temperature was taken once again. And guess what? Her fever was still at the top of the scale. Just incredible. According to the various newspapers, doctors expressed concern as to what might happen if her fever subsided rapidly. Some felt that the fever may have been, quote, caused by a former tumor that was pressing up against the thermal centers of the brain. That's the end of the quote. On March 6, her fever rose even higher. That was to a new record of 118 degrees Fahrenheit or 47.8 degrees Celsius. Now, I should mention again, this is only an estimation due to the limitations of thermometers at the time. One thing that was certain was that when Dr. Defnet inserted his thermometer into her mouth, the mercury rose to the point where it popped the glass tube. Wow, now we're really talking sizzling, aren't we? Yet, through all of this, Evelyn continued to lack the typical symptoms that accompany a high fever. Now, she occasionally complained about a bit of pain, but that was about it. Day after day, the press followed her progress, and as you'd expect, letters and telegrams arrived from all over the nation. Some expressed their get-well wishes, while others offered medical advice. During an interview with a reporter, Evelyn remarked, quote, I wish you would thank through the Associated Press all the people for me. She added, I am glad to have their comfort in my fight for victory, and I would like to thank each one separately. She further stated, I know I will recover. I wish I could get outdoors because I know I'd be better off if I got out into the cold air. But I guess I will have to obey the physician as he undoubtedly knows what is best. And that's the end of the quote. On her 16th day with that high fever, both Dr. Defnet and a Dr. Mole, he was the secretary of the Delta County Medical Association at the time, they signed statements for the Associated Press. Dr. Mole's statement read, quote, I found the temperature to be the maximum of a thermometer, which I estimate at 114 or more. The patient is rational. The odd case is not exaggerated and is true to the letter. Then another Escanaba physician, a Dr. Snyder, visited her the next day and reported, quote, There can be no doubt of the correctness of the previous temperature readings. It was now time to bring in the experts from the big city. The New York Times reported on March 19th that a couple of top-notch physicians from Chicago would be arriving shortly to offer their opinions. Miss Lyons was once again quoted in the same article, quote, If they would only quit thinking of me as a freak, I don't intend to die just because I have a temperature. I'm going to get well. But things seemed to go downhill quite quickly over the next couple of days. 
A special thermometer was obtained from the Weather Bureau, and her fever was now registering a whopping 124 degrees. That's 51.1 degrees Celsius. Incredible. Dr. Defnet reported that Evelyn had lost her appetite, and she had grown weaker, and now she's starting to show signs of, quote, serious nervous disorders. And then, suddenly, on March 12th, it was all over. No, Evelyn Lyons did not die. Instead, her body temperature had miraculously dropped to the normal range, and she survived. The headline in the March 13th edition of the Chicago Daily Tribune explained it all. Hot water bag put the lie in Miss Lyons' 114-degree fever. Yes, it was all one big hoax. It was those two doctors from Chicago that did her in. Their first checks of Miss Lyons' temperature with a mouth thermometer were consistent with the high readings that had been reported in the press. Then, with the patient's permission, they had Dr. Defna catheterize her and they collected a bottle of her urine. They then proceeded to once again take her temperature orally, while at the same time they were secretly measuring the temperature of the urine sample. The two results were not in agreement. The oral thermometer indicated a high fever. The urine showed that her temperature was normal. The doctors knew that they were being had, so they asked Miss Lyons to come clean. She strongly protested, but for some reason she did allow them to take her temperature again orally to prove that she was sick. But getting that measurement was not easy. Miss Lyons kept removing the thermometer from her mouth and she was shaking it wildly in her hand, all the time expressing concern that the glass tube could shatter in her mouth. But eventually she did cooperate and as the doctors expected, her temperature showed no fever. The doctors once again demanded that Miss Lyons tell them how she pulled off the deception, but she offered no explanation. So once again, they placed a thermometer in her mouth to get a reading, and this time they left the room. What she didn't know was that she was never really alone. That's because one of the physicians was spying on her through a crack in the door. She was observed to arch her back upward, and then she placed her hands with the thermometer underneath, and then she returned the glass tube back to her mouth. When the doctors came back into the room, they demanded that she produce whatever it was that she was hiding. That's when she sat up, searched among the bed coverings, and finally produced an extremely hot water bottle that was about the size of a baseball. It turns out that her mother had been regularly providing the hot water bottle to help relieve pain in both her abdomen and her back. What mom didn't realize was that every time the doctors attempted to take her temperature, she would have a coughing fit and remove the thermometer from her mouth. At that point, she would momentarily touch the bulb of the thermometer to the heated bottle before reinserting it into her mouth. In an Associated Press interview published on March 14th, Escanaba's fever girl offered an apology and said, quote, my hoax first entered my head when Dr. Henry Defnet, the attending physician, turned his back to me and I touched the bulb of the instrument to the hot water bottle. 
She added, Saturday night, I knew that the collapse of the trick was near. She further stated, I knew Dr. Defnet was onto my scheme, and so I tried to get out. Only I was so clumsy, so clumsy, and then they caught me. Yet, by the end of that same day, she had already denied the whole thing. Quote, I have no statement to make except that the whole story of me being a fake is a rotten lie. Further investigation, which was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, determined that Miss Lyons had visited every doctor in the area complaining of various maladies. Dr. Defnet had previously been called on to remove a piece of rubber from her bladder because, get this, having been a former nurse, she attempted to catheterize herself. She proved to be such an annoyance during that particular procedure that she had already become a persona non grata at the hospital. And this is before the whole fever girl thing started. It was also learned that even though she was suffering from this record high fever that you know, could potentially cost her her life, doctors were unable to convince her to go to the hospital. They couldn't even convince her to stay in bed and get some rest. In fact, the only way they could get her to the hospital was for the police to take her. And once she got there, she only remained in the hospital for about two days with a normal body temperature. Then she walked out of the hospital and returned home to her imaginary fever. According to several press reports in the weeks following the discovery of the hot water bottle, Evelyn Lyons really was sick with a fever. But all these articles were written with a sense of skepticism. I wonder why. I guess she cried wolf one too many times, and few were now willing to believe her. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now for a few words from our retro sponsor. For you good homemakers who are serving meatless menus, here's a swell recipe. It's for a rich golden Welsh rabbit that's a perfect main dish any day in the week. And a wonderful idea for what to serve the crowd after Saturday's football game. You ready for the recipe? For that football crowd, we'd better make a double recipe. We'll use one pound of Kraft Smooth Melting Velveeta. That's two one-half-pound packages of this famous cheese food. Or half of a two-pound loaf. Cut up the pound of golden Velveeta and melt it in your chafing dish or the top of your double boiler. Gradually add one half cup of milk. That's one half cup of milk and stir it into the melted Velveeta. Now season that smooth, golden Welsh rabbit to taste. 
salt, pepper, dash of dry mustard, Worcestershire sauce. Serve on toast and listen to the raves. And just be sure you use genuine smooth-melting Velveeta, made only by Kraft. Get the two-pound Velveeta loaf tomorrow for snacks, sandwiches, and grand hot dishes, too. Remember Velveeta for money-saving, meatless main dishes. That commercial for Velveeta is from the October 16, 1947 episode of the Kraft Music Hall, and it was hosted by Al Jolson and featured special guest Bing Crosby, who had actually hosted the show himself from 1936 through 1946. There have certainly been many jokes made about Velveeta over the years, and it certainly didn't help when Kraft announced early this year that there would be a shortage of the product until after the 2014 Super Bowl. According to Wikipedia, Velveeta was invented in 1908 by Caleb Hommel, and they offered no further explanation. Yet most detailed sources on the invention of Velveeta credit its invention to someone else. So I'm going to tell you the latter story. Supposedly, Velveeta was invented as a solution to a very big problem that was facing the cheesemakers at the Monroe Cheese Company in Monroe, New York in the early 1900s. You see, cheesemaking was an inexact science, therefore there was a lot of waste. You know, there were broken or misshapen wheels of cheese that couldn't be sold. When the company opened a second manufacturing plant in Covington, Pennsylvania, the amount of unsellable cheese grew substantially, and then it was all returned to the Monroe facility. And of course, that meant a bigger loss of profit for the firm. The task of turning this unusable cheese into something sellable fell into the hands of cheesemaker Emile Fry. He tinkered for nearly two years trying to perfect his recipe. In 1918, he figured out a way to add whey which is basically the liquid left over after the making of cheese, back into the company's broken bits of Swiss cheese. And this created a velvety smooth cheese, so he named it, very obviously, Velveeta. And since the whey is mixed into the cheese, the U.S. government requires it to be labeled as a processed food. And that, of course, has given Velveeta its bad reputation as a mystery food. The brand was spun off into the independently operated Velveeta Cheese Company on February 14th of 1923. It was later sold to Kraft in 1927. Personally, I find the invention of Velveeta to be ingenious. Fry took two cheese waste products and he combined them into a useful edible product. And we have a name for that today. It's called recycling. Although I don't think many people be buying Velveeta if it said it was recycled on the package. Hmm. And now for a few totally useless yet totally true tidbits from history. It's time for like to call News of the Weird Past. And today's stories all have one thing in common. They're all about teachers. So July 8th of 1916 was a great day for New Jersey teacher and principal Walter C. Davis. You see, earlier in the year he had been fired by the Overpeck Township Board of Education after they found him guilty of the four charges filed against him. The charges were as follows. 
First, physical disability. Second, inefficiency in teaching. Third, incapacity. And lastly, conduct unbecoming of a teacher. Now, he must have done some incredibly awful things to have those charges filed against him and to, of course, ultimately lose his job. So here's what he really did. In regards to the physical disability, that's because he only had one eye. His inefficiency in teaching, that's because he supposedly mispronounced a few words. That included algebra. And that charge about conduct unbecoming of a teacher, that's because he removed his coat while teaching class on a warm September day. Yet, I did mention this was a happy day for him. And that's because the State Commissioner of Education ruled that it was permissible for him to teach with only his shirt sleeves and no jacket on. His job was ordered reinstated. Boy, have times changed, huh? Next up, the July 1st of 1932 issue of the New York Times told of a swindle that affected more than 50 teachers in the Bronx. You see, all these teachers were seeking summer work at the city's playgrounds, and they were thrilled when the telegrams arrived, telling them to report to the Board of Education at 500 Park Avenue, room 403, for verification. The telegrams had been delivered collect, meaning that the would-be playground employees had to dish out between 38 and 43 cents to read the notices. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but this would be between 6 and $7 today, which was a big chunk of change to have to dish out during the Great Depression. One teacher had been vacationing in the Catskills and had to pay $6 in car fare to get to the meeting on time. Adjusted for inflation, that would be about $100 today. As each of the teachers arrived at the Board of Education, they found out that the telegrams were fake. Police were on the lookout for a man that was estimated to be between 20 and 23 years old, 6 feet in height, 175 pounds, and having light-colored hair. It was believed that he obtained the names from lists that were published in the newspaper. And our last story for today is dated July 8th of 1954, when it's reported that the Wayland, Massachusetts School Board had voted to terminate the employment of 46-year-old second-grade teacher Anne Hale Jr., who just happened to be a descendant of Pilgrim John Alden. So why did they fire her? It's because she was a member of the Communist Party between 1945 and 1950. As a result, she was charged with conduct unbecoming of a schoolteacher, with being unfit to teach, and lastly, of course, being a member of the Communist Party. At the time of her suspension in April, Ms. Hale sent the following letter to the parents of her 28 students and requested that it be read to them. Dear children, your family will tell you that different people have different ideas about how the country should run. I have been working for a long time in the best way I know to make sure that the liberty and justice for all of which we speak every morning is always with us and that it will grow better. Those who don't agree with me may say harsh things. Just remember these things, which I am sure you know. I love my country and I love you. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. And now for the answer to today's question of the day. And I had asked, what is the highest recorded body temperature that a human has ever survived? And your choices were in Fahrenheit, 106.2, 108.7, 112.5, 114.2, 115.7 degrees. In Celsius, it was 41.2 degrees, 42.6, 44.7, 45.7, and 46.5 degrees. Well, the answer is the last option, 115.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 46.5 degrees Celsius. That occurred back on July 10th of 1980. That's when 52-year-old Willie Jones of Atlanta, Georgia, was in his apartment during a heat wave that was sweeping the southeastern United States. He decided to cook a meal and then he fell asleep. Friends later found him in a coma and Willie was rushed to Grady Memorial Hospital. Dr. Gail Anderson, who headed the team that treated Willie, said, quote, With a regular rectal thermometer, his temperature went off the top of the scale. He had been packed in ice for about 15 minutes before another higher-range thermometer was used to measure that record-breaking temperature. Amazingly, Willie made a complete recovery and left the hospital 25 days later. Now that's one record I hope never to break. I hope you enjoyed today's story on the Fever Girl as well as the other stories that accompanied it. If you'd like to read more true stories just like this, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. Both written by me, Steve Silverman, and they're available from your local bookseller online and of course from your local library. I will be posting the uh, support materials for this on Facebook shortly. That's www.facebook.com slash useless information podcast. That's all one word, useless information podcast. If for some crazy reason you'd like to get in contact with me, you can simply drop me an email at useless at steve.silverman.name. That's useless at steve.silverman.name. Or you can visit my website, which is uselessinformation.org. There's also contact information on the Facebook page. Well, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in the next time. Bye.